Al-A'rabu The Bedouins Plural of A'rabi And we have done this word earlier It refers to the Bedouin Arabs Those who did not live in the cities But rather they lived in the desert So let's say they were traveling They found an oasis somewhere Some water, source of water So what happened? They would camp over there They would live over there But then let's say there was a storm And their animals killed Some of their people, lives lost Then what would they do? They would get up, back up and go elsewhere So constantly moving about in the desert They're not stationed in one place They're just going about in search of food and water Wherever they find food and water they will live As soon as that's finished What will they do? Go elsewhere Allah says over here Al-A'rabu The Bedouins They are ashaddu Stronger Kufran in disbelief Wanifaqan and hypocrisy They are stronger in their disbelief and hypocrisy Wa-ajdaru And more likely From the root letters Jim dal-ra And ajdaru is to be More befitting of something More befitting of something More likely to do something More prone to doing something So they are ajdar Meaning it is more likely that Allah that not يَعْلَمُ They know حُدُودَ The limits مَا that which أَنزَلَ اللَّهُ Allah has revealed عَلَى رَسُولِ On His Messenger وَاللَّهُ عَلِيمٌ حَكِيمٌ Allah is knowing and wise What is this ayah saying? That the Bedouins Who don't live close to the Prophet ﷺ Who don't come to the masjid regularly Why? Because they're far, they're in the desert, they're constantly traveling here or there, moving about in search of food and water. These people are more likely to develop kufr and nifaq. They're stronger in their kufr and nifaq. They're much worse in their disbelief, they're much worse in their hypocrisy compared to city dwellers. Why? Is this like a bias against them? That because they're poor and they're uneducated, that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that they are stronger in their disbelief and hypocrisy? What's the reason behind that? Hmm? Because of their ignorance basically. They don't know much. Right? Think about it. There were people who lived close to the Prophet ﷺ. Right? So they learned from him. And because they learned from him, they saw his manners, they saw his dealings with other people, they had tazkiyah done also. Because one of the roles of the Prophet ﷺ was that وَيُزَكِّهِمْ He would also purify the people. They're making a mistake, he would correct them in the best way. But if someone is far from the Prophet ﷺ, he doesn't even, there's no one to point out as to what mistake he's making, how he's disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how is that going to be fixed? You see like if there is a person who never goes to the doctor, never, doesn't go for regular checkups ever. So what's going to happen? Aren't they more likely to develop some illness and get worse in that? Because if a person is going for regular checkups, then what happens? As soon as that illness, the signs of it are visible, the doctor will see it. And inshallah, with treatment, it's going to be resolved. Right? But if a person... Refuses to go to the doctor because while his head is hurting, there's a sharp pain in a particular spot. And he delays going to the doctor. He doesn't go at all. A year goes by, another year goes by. And finally, he's forced by his family to go to the doctor. And by the time he goes to the doctor, he says there's a big tumor in your head which has spread everywhere. And there's nothing really that can be done about it now. 
We can't help you now. It's too late. If you had come to us when the pain first started, perhaps we could have done something. But now, it's gone too far. We can't do anything. Doesn't this happen? So this is why the A'rab, the Bedouins, they are stronger in their disbelief and their hypocrisy compared to the city dwellers. But this is not the only reason that because they're unaware. Another reason is that Bedouins in their nature, in their nature, they were very harsh people. People who had very hard hearts in general. Because desert life made them like that. Alright? And as a result, what happened was that if they committed kufr, much worse. Nifaq, much worse compared to that of other people. Have you ever, let's say, some of you, if you've ever gone back to the country from where your parents came from, has it ever happened that you visited and people are talking to you and you're like, why are they yelling at me? Has it ever happened? Any experience like that? Yeah? I'm sure there have been many experiences like that. Why is she yelling at me? And why is he talking to me so rudely? And why is he like spitting in my face? And you get very offended. Like, Why are they talking to me like that? What did I ever do? Who do they think they are? Right? Why? Because they come from a different background. Right? And their society is such that every person has to fend for himself. It's not like you can call on the police and you know, someone is threatening you. The stronger you are, you can survive. Survival of the fittest basically, right? So what happens? These kind of habits, they become like second nature. People become very tough and rude and harsh. I remember once I was in Pakistan and uh, we ended up in a car accident, which is not really a big accident, just like the car bumping into the other car. And I was just shocked, sitting there quiet, wondering what's going to happen. And before we know it, people from the other car, whom we accidentally hit, all those men, they're out of their car and they're coming to literally open our doors and pull us out and, you know, do something to us. It was such a frightening experience, I cannot even explain to you. So frightening it was. But Alhamdulillah, the driver, he was very strong and firm. And Alhamdulillah, he managed to close all the windows and lock the cars before they could come. I remember the guy trying to put his hand in through the window. لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله. I mean, over here, if something like that happens, if there's an accident, what do people do? They come out of their car, they stand on the side, you know, call the police. And then what happens? I mean, things are resolved. Even if a person is angry and yelling and shouting, what happens? The police comes. And everybody's supposed to calm down now. But this doesn't happen everywhere in the world. So don't be surprised if you're somewhere else in the world and you think that people are going to physically assault you. Because it's very likely they will. Why? Because that's just how they are. That's just how they are. So the Bedouins, because of this desert life, they would talk loudly. Like we learned that some of them when they would come to visit Medina... They'd come to the Prophet ﷺ looking for him and they would go outside his house and they would say, Ya Muhammad, ukhruj alayna. Yelling at the Prophet ﷺ. Oh Muhammad ﷺ, come out. Come out, we need to talk to you. We're here. Ukhruj alayna. Yelling. One house after the other, they would go around like this. I mean, the Sahaba, they wouldn't even take the name of the Prophet ﷺ. They would say, Ya Rasulullah. Remember in the first juz, what did we learn? 
لا تقولوا راعنا وقولوا انظرنا واسمعوا they would speak so softly they would speak with so much respect and here these bedouins would come like they're just some big shot and yelling at the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam remember how they would demand from him that he should give them money Sometimes they would even choke him. I mean, Abu Bakr anhu getting into arguments with these people because this was their nature. They would yell, they would talk really loudly, very, very disrespectful. And you see, someone whose concern is, I need food, I need water, I need my basic needs to be fulfilled. They don't care about courtesy. They don't care about how they should talk to people. They become very selfish. I need this, even if I have to humiliate the other person. They don't care. So this is why their akhlaq was very poor. And this is why they were stronger in their disbelief and in their hypocrisy. In a hadith we learn, the Prophet ﷺ said, that he who lives in the desert becomes hard-hearted. He who adopts desert life becomes hard-hearted. Why? Because the circumstances that they're living in are so harsh that they will become harsh in their nature. Many times it happens with people. Right? So, he who lives in the desert becomes hard-hearted. He's living in a harsh environment and he has no interest to learn. How is he going to... You know, like when you go out in the world, you interact with people, you learn so many things. Right? So many things. But if you are far from people, you're living by yourself and you're dealing with animals and you're dealing with, you know, harsh climate, harsh living circumstances and obviously it's going to affect your nature. You know, like people who work with children a lot, what happens? They become very soft and gentle and they also develop patience. People who really work with the children, okay, meaning properly with children, then what happens? They become gentle, they become forgiving, they become tolerant. And you'll see this in many teachers who teach young children. Even if they're talking to adults, how are they talking? In, you know, in such a polite way. In such a comforting way. Because they're dealing with children most of the time. There's a great lesson for us too. Like people tend to buy houses at a cheaper rate, outside the city, in outskirts, where there's no masjid, nothing. Yes. So they are also you know, away from the deen. And then when their children grow up, they don't even know what Islam is. Yes, very true. Because if you're far from the center of hidayah, okay, whatever it may be, a masjid, an institute, a class, any, you know, a person, whatever it may be, if you're far from it, you're going to become far from hidayah. Isn't it? Like for example, if the mall is an hour's drive away from your house, how often are you going to go shopping? I mean, people who are crazy, they're going to go. But normal people, they're not going to be going every week. They're going to think about it, right? Every month or so, they're going to go. Or maybe less than that even. Right? So likewise, if the house is far from the masjid, how easy is it going to be to go for Isha? Really? How easy is it going to be to go for Jumu'ah? How easy is it going to be to go to the masjid on a regular basis for a class, for a halaqah? It's going to become very, very difficult. Right? So the Prophet ﷺ said, He who lives in the desert becomes hard-hearted. He who follows the game becomes heedless. What does it mean by game? Like hunting game. A prey. Meaning he who pursues, follows the animal that he wants to catch. Then what's going to happen? Meaning he who goes hunting a lot. 
he is going to become heedless. غافل He's going to put aside what is more important in life. Back then, people used to go and run after deer or you know, wild camels or something like that so that they could catch those animals and eat them. These days, what is it that people follow? On their phones, on their screens, something else like games that people play, whether it's a ball or whatever it may be. Aren't they so addictive, games? Even on your phone, aren't they so addictive? You play one game and you're like, um, let me try the next one. I'm pretty good at this. Like angry birds. You get angry until you actually manage to move on to the next level. Right? And you go on to the next level, which makes you go on the next level, and the next level, and the next level. Have you ever played a video game, or a game like that on your phone, for just one minute? Or just once? What happens when you play once? You want to play again? You say, let me try it. I think I can do it. I'm getting pretty good at it. And then what happens is that when you get good at it, you get bored of it. So then you have to try something else that's more challenging. So the Prophet ﷺ said, he who follows the game becomes heedless. And he who associates with the rulers, rulers, meaning he wants to be good friends with people of, who are high in authority, he falls into fitna. He will fall into fitna. Meaning fitna concerning his deen, that he will compromise many things in order to please them. So anyway, الْأَعْرَابُ أَشَدُّ كُفْرٌ وَنِفَاقًا Remember that hadith where once the Prophet ﷺ was sitting and a child came and he kissed him. And there was a Bedouin man and he said, you kiss your children? And the Prophet ﷺ was like, yeah. And the man's like, I've got 10 kids and I've never kissed even one of them. I've got 10 kids and I've never kissed even one of them. Can you imagine what a hard heart that must be? I mean, a baby, you want to kiss, you want to kiss the baby all over, from the feet to the nose to every finger. So if Allah has pulled away mercy from somebody's heart, then what can be done? Al-A'rabu ashaddu kufran wa nifaqa. Wa ajdaru, and they're more likely, Allah ya'lamu hududa ma anzalallahu ala rasulik. They're far from the center of hidayah. That's why they're ignorant. And when they're ignorant, they're going to be, obviously not know what their religion is. They're not going to be following it. So how can they be rightly guided? Many times people complain that, you know what, I knew, I studied the Qur'an, but now I've forgotten it. You know why? Because you didn't review it. You didn't revisit it. Because if you visited it again, you would not have forgotten it. Right? And what happens is that we think, okay, I've studied the Qur'an once, and alhamdulillah, I can move on to doing something else. But believe me, even if you scored 100% in your Qur'an study, if you don't keep reviewing the Qur'an, you're going to start forgetting things. You're going to stop remembering Allah. Your salah is going to lose its value in your life. You're not going to enjoy prayer anymore. You won't be able to open the Qur'an for many days. And that guilt is going to eat you away. And then eventually, a person thinks, well, you know what, I'm so bad anyway. So what? Righteous company, it keeps you on the right path. Righteous company keeps you on the right path. And where do you find righteous company? In the masajid, in the centers of knowledge, right? That's where you will find such people. And when you will go before them, they will remind you what you're doing is wrong. Hey, what happened? What's going on over here? 
How come you're doing this? But if a person keeps away from people of knowledge, then he is allowing himself to fall. He's allowing himself to make mistakes and not correct them. He's allowing himself to go far away from guidance. So what is necessary? If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has brought us on the right track, what is necessary? That we remain on it. And how do we remain on it? By staying with the people, by having a connection with the people who are on that path. In one way or another. In some way or another. Because if we don't remember, we're going to forget it. The Qur'an is very easy to forget. It's very, very easy to forget. So quickly, a person can forget it. Like a camel that is not tethered. If it's let loose in the desert, what's going to happen? It's gone. You're never going to find that camel again. It's gone. So quickly, out of your hands. And just like that, a person can forget the Qur'an. If he loses his connection with it. So what is necessary then? What is necessary? Make yourself cling to something or the other in order to make sure you're on the right track. You know, like sometimes, even in our hijab, we don't realize we're making a mistake. We think, yeah, I know how to wear hijab properly. Of course I know, and this is right. But when you go in front of people of knowledge, they'll remind you that, nah, that's not correct. I remember once, just a couple years ago, I went somewhere and I was wearing my hijab and on top I was wearing a, a jacket. So literally my head was like, you know, like it was being revealed. My shoulders, everything. And then from the front also what happens when you have a tight jacket on, what happens? If you've zipped it up, your chest is also going to be exposed. And I thought it's fine. I have my face covered, my hijab is on, my jacket is on. And my mom, she just came and she took my hijab out of my jacket. And that really made me think that I think I'm doing my hijab right. But there is a big mistake over here. My body is being exposed. Through my hijab, it's being exposed. So sometimes what happens is that we know. Because we don't see ourselves. And we don't keep reviewing what we have learned. We are very prone to making mistakes. So what is important then? That we keep connected with people of knowledge who will see our mistake and correct us. Because you see, one mistake leads to another, which leads to another. And a person, you know, he goes down the slippery road. And climbing that back is very difficult. Very difficult. I remember a long, long time ago, I wore my hair high under my hijab. Long time ago. And this one auntie, may Allah reward her generously. She's like, how long is your hair? Basically, she was trying to say that, why do you have to tie your hair up so high? How long is your hair? I'm like, it's, it's this long. She's like, well, you should wear your hair a little lower than that then. It should not be too difficult for you. And that made me realize that I'm making a mistake here. Right? So what happens is that if we are surrounded with people who don't know the deen of Allah, you think they're going to see our mistake and correct us? You think they're going to correct us? No, because they don't even know what we're doing wrong. And secondly, we should be okay with other people correcting us also. If they have some evidence, we should accept it. Not make excuses over there. Because sometimes what happens is that 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends somebody to make us realize the mistake that we're making. And we say, okay. And we go our way. We don't even listen. We don't even accept. Who are we fooling? Who are we fooling over there? Ourselves, right? Because a mistake is a mistake. An error is an error. And even if we close our eyes and say, no, no, it's not wrong. It's perfectly right. Is it going to be right? Never. So keep connected with people who will correct you and allow others to correct you. Don't get offended and mad if other people correct you. Because then you're only allowing yourself to have a very low standard. وَمِنَ الْأَعْرَابِ And among the Arabs, meaning among the desert dwellers, the Bedouins, مَنْ هُوْ يَتَّخِذُ He takes مَا يُنْفِقُ That which he spends, meaning what he has to spend in the way of Allah. So for example, zakat. He takes that as مَغْرَمًا What is مَغْرَمًا? From the root letters غَيْن ra ميم And مَغْرَم is basically a financial loss. Financial loss. But what kind of financial loss is it? Like money that you have to give, that you lose basically, for no crime, no sin that you've committed, no mistake that you've made. Financial loss that you incur on no error. Like for example, if you're asked that submit this much money to, you know, the fee window for instance, you'd be like, why? Why do I have to pay that? What did I ever do? So you know when you have that feeling that why do I have to give this money? What did I ever do? Why do I have to pay this tax? When you spend unwillingly and you take that expenditure as a burden upon yourself, that you think it's not fair. Why do I have to give this money? Why do I have to spend in this cause? It's like if your parents say, from today you are paying for your phone bill yourself. And not just yours, but also your brothers and your sisters. What would your reaction be? Why me? What did I ever do? That this privilege is being taken away from me. But is it really a privilege being taken away from you? No, you're being made responsible for yourself and also for your family. So there's some of the Bedouins who consider spending in the way of Allah as a maghram, as a tax, as a fine, as a burden. They think, what crime did we ever commit that we have to give zakat? And you know when you have to spend in any cause, in any way, hmm, as a burden, unwillingly, then it seems unfair to you. But if you spend, even if it's a huge amount, but you expect reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then what happens? It becomes easy. So the one who does not expect reward from Allah, for him, giving 2.5% annually even seems like a big burden. 2.5%. I mean, think about it. 2.5% of our income, perhaps we lose in change even. Isn't it possible? Yeah. I mean, if you have $2, what do they matter? Nothing. They don't matter much. What do $3 matter? Not much. And how much is zakat? 2.5%. But the one who doesn't expect ajr from Allah, what does he think? Oh my God, I have to give this much money in zakat? I have to give this much money in zakat? Why? What did I ever do? Why don't I deserve to use my money? However I want. He takes it as a maghram. 
وَيَتَرَبَّصُ And he waits. بِكُمْ for you, O believers, الدَّوَائِر Turns of misfortune. دَوَائِر is the plural of دَائِرَة. دائرة from دَور. دَال وَاورَة. And دَور is to go around. From the same root is the word دَار. What is دَار? Home. Because you go around everywhere and where do you come back? Home. And when you're in your house, what are you doing basically? Going around your house, picking up things, cleaning up things, using things. Right? So, da'ira refers to a turn of events. Alright? So, for example, a person, everything's fine, and then a turn of events means disaster. So, he is waiting for you that you should suffer from some disasters. They basically want you to die and perish so that they can go back to how they were living previously. They can live their normal lives. There were literally some people who had accepted Islam just for material benefits. But when they had to give zakat, they didn't like that at all. They considered like a tax. They thought it was unfair they had to give zakat. And what were they waiting for? The day that the Prophet ﷺ would die. Is that if only he would die, then we can go back to our ways. They were waiting for the Muslims to finish. The ummah to finish. They were waiting for some external force to come and attack the Muslims and khalas. So Tabuk seemed to them like this is it. The Muslims are going to go face the Romans and that's it. Finished. وَيَتَرَبَّصُوا بِكُمُ الدَّوَائِرِ Allah says, عَلَيْهِمْ دَائِرَةُ On them will be a misfortune of evil. وَاللَّهُ سَمِيعٌ عَلِيمٌ Allah is hearing and knowing. He hears what you say in your heart even if you don't voice it. And He knows about it. He knows what you want from your heart. It's like some people, they literally wait for others to die. They do. That if this person in my life, if they could just disappear, you know, just erase them out somehow. I can't kill them because life's going to be difficult for me. So they're wishing from the bottom of their heart if that individual could die. They want bad for others just so that they can be happy. Who's a believer? The one who wants for the other what he wants for himself. But what do we learn over here? That the munafiqeen, they want the believers to be struck by some disaster so that they can live life as they want. Allah says, عَلَيْهِمْ دَائِرَةُ السَّوْءِ You want evil for others? Evil will fall upon you. You want others to suffer? And you will suffer. And isn't that true? That a person who wants bad for others, others have no idea. They're happy in their lives. And here's this person living with that burning fire in his heart. When are they gonna die? When are they gonna go away? And nobody knows that they're living in this hell. Right? Their heart, their ill feelings have literally made their life a hell for them. Because they cannot be happy ever. They're angry, they're upset, they're mad all the time. They can never be happy. عَلَيْهِمْ دَائِرَةُ soap. If we want bad for others, remember that we will be the first ones to suffer. We will be the first ones to suffer. If a person is jealous of the other, the other has no idea. But who's suffering in that jealousy? The jealous person. Right? If a person has a grudge against the other, the other has got no idea. He's happy, enjoying his life, trying one thing after the other. But the one who's got that grudge deep in his heart, he's the one whose every day, every moment is horrible. They're suffocated in their life. So عَلَيْهِمْ دَائِرَةُ السَّوْءُ وَاللَّهُ سَمِيرٌ عَلِيمٌ And we see that 
The Prophet ﷺ, when he did pass away, there were some Arab tribes. Most of those people were hypocrites. What did they do? They refused to give zakat. The Prophet ﷺ passed away. And what happened to those munafiqeen? They refused to give zakat. So Abu Bakr anhu, he actually waged war against those tribes. Because he considered that if a person is not giving zakat, he's not a Muslim. Because one of the pillars of Islam is what? Zakat. And they did not differentiate between prayer and zakat. If someone's not praying, if someone's not giving zakat, they're not Muslim. So Abu Bakr anhu sent armies of Muslims against such people. That if you refuse to give zakat, you're not Muslim anymore. This is rebellion against the Muslims. You're trying to change the religion of Allah. And that's not acceptable. So he fought against them. And really, alayhim da'iratu sawl. They really suffered a lot of terrible consequences in their lives. On the other hand, Allah says, "Women and from Al-Arabi, the Bedouin Arabs, man who yu'minu billahi wal yawmil akhir. He believes in Allah in the last day. Don't generalize. All Bedouins are not like that. Yes, they live in difficult circumstances, harsh life situations, but they are always in need of food and water going from one place to the other. They're generally very ignorant. But are all of them... Hypocrites? No. Allah says, وَمِنَ الْأَعْرَابِ مَنْ يُؤْمِنُ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ He truly, sincerely, honestly believes in Allah in the last day. وَيَتَّخِذُ And he takes, meaning he considers, مَا يُنْفِقُ That which he has to spend in the way of Allah, whether it's zakat or sadaqah, anything that he gives in the way of Allah, he considers that to be قُرُبَات قُرُبَات, plural of qurba. And what is qurba? From qurb, qareeb. What does that mean? To be near. So qurubat, meaning a means of attaining closeness and nearness to Allah. Qurubatin, عند الله, near Allah. They consider that their sadaqah, their zakat, is going to draw them closer to Allah. They willingly and happily spend in the way of Allah. And they consider their spendings in the way of Allah as وَصَلَوَاتِ rasul, Meaning a means of attaining the prayers of the Messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Salawat, plural of salah, dua. Remember that salah of a human being means dua. So they hope that when they will spend in the way of Allah, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is going to make dua for them. So you see two things over here: they spend in the way of Allah, hoping to draw near to Allah, and hoping that they will receive the duas of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Allah says, Allah. Beware, know this, that innaha qurbatun lahum. Indeed, it is a qurba for them. Definitely, it will draw them close to Allah. Because if a person does even a very small deed for the sake of Allah, then what happens? It can draw him very close to Allah. A small deed done with sincerity, done with sincerity can draw a person very close to Allah. You know, like, Remember in Sahih Bukhari, we learn about this man. In other reports, we learn about this woman that was passing by you know, a desert or something. There was no water and very thirsty and saw a dog licking on what? Wet mud. So what happened? He felt pity for that dog. So he went down that well, put water in his shoe and brought it up and fed it to the dog. And Allah forgave him because of that. In another version, we learned that this it was not a man, it was a woman and she was a prostitute. But she gave charity 
felt pity for Allah's creation and did something for the sake of Allah, even if it was something small as feeding a thirsty dog, what happened? It drew that person near Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. أَلَا إِنَّهَا قُرْبَةُ لَهُمْ Remember that sadaqah will always bring a person closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because as soon as you spend something in the way of Allah and you spend with ikhlas, then it, it will make you happy in your heart. Even if it's very little. You know that? Even if it's 25 cents, very little, when you will put it in a box, for example, hoping that Allah will be happy with you, you will experience true joy in your heart. True happiness that you can never experience by spending $2,500 on a bag even. Really, it's not the same. There's no comparison. There's no comparison. You go to the mall, you spend, 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 and you come back with your stuff, and you're like, that's it? All that time, all that money I spent, I thought it was so much, you know, all those bags. And when you come home and you take all the tags off, you're like, that's it? You were very happy when you were buying everything, but later on when you see your bill, you're like, oh my God, what was I thinking? Right? And when you have to show those receipts to your husband or to your mother or to your father, you're like, please don't ask me anything. So, and if they question you about one thing even, what happens? All that joy, khalas. But if you give in the way of Allah, that will bring you happiness like nothing else brings. أَلَا إِنَّهَا قُرْبَةٌ لَهُمْ سَيُدْخِلُهُمُ اللَّهُ فِي رَحْمَتِهِ Allah will admit them into His mercy. إِنَّ اللَّهَ غَفُورٌ رَحِيمٌ Indeed, Allah is forgiving and merciful. And every time that people brought sadaqah, zakat, the Prophet ﷺ was instructed that he should pray for those believers. He should make dua for them. We learned that this was the way of the Prophet ﷺ. Any person who is appointed to collect, whether it is zakat, or it is any kind of money that people are spending in the way of Allah, what should that person do? He should make dua for the people who are spending in the way of Allah. The person who is made in charge of collecting the funds, what should he do? What should he do? Make dua for those who are spending. Make dua for them. So, أَلَا إِنَّهَا قُرْبَةٌ لَهُمْ Allah says, وَالسَّابِقُونَ الْأَوَّلُونَ مِنَ الْمُهَاجِرِينَ وَالسَّابِقُونَ And those who are ahead, the forerunners, the first ones. سَابِقُونَ are who? From sabaqa To go ahead. So some people, what they do is they wait for others to do something first. But there are others who are like, doesn't matter. So what if other people are not doing it? I'm going to do it. وَالسَّابِقُونَ And it's always difficult to be the first one to do something. I'm sure with some people, you know, they've set conditions like, inshallah, when my sister does hijab, I will do it too. We will both do it together. When my friend does it, inshallah, I'll do it too. We'll both do it together. She's not ready, so I have to wait for her, you know. She's delaying it, so I have to wait. Too bad for me. So some people, they wait for others. When she gets out of bed, I will also get out of bed. When she will get up to pray, I will also get up to pray. Sabiqun. Either others are doing it or they're not doing it. They do it. They are the first ones. وَالسَّابِقُونَ الْأَوَّلُونَ The first ones. They're ahead of others and they're the first ones to do it. They don't wait for others to do it. They're the first ones to do it. Who are they? Allah says, مِنَ الْمُهَاجِرِينَ From the immigrants, those that did hijrah from Mecca to Medina, وَالْأَنصَارِ And the helpers, those who were in Medina and who helped the people who migrated to them. 
So the Muhajirin and the Ansar, who were they? First ones to accept Islam. First ones to go with the Prophet ﷺ. Abu Bakr didn't wait for anybody to bring their entire money. He just went forward, whatever he had, he brought it. Right? Umar anhu. what was his plan at the occasion of Tabuk? That he was going to outdo Abu Bakr anhu. So he said, you know what, perhaps Abu Bakr will not bring everything. I'll take half of everything I have. And I'm sure this time I'm going to be able to beat Abu Bakr. But what happened? When he gets there, Abu Bakr is already there with everything. They don't wait for others. But sometimes we try to decide what we're going to do by checking what others are doing. Let me see what she does. Let me see what he does. And I will also consider doing something. Don't wait for others. Be the first one. وَالسَّابِقُونَ الْأَوَّلُونَ مِنَ الْمُهَاجِينَ وَالْأَنصَارِ وَالَّذِينَ اتَّبَعُوهُمْ بِإِحْسَانِ And those who follow them with ihsan. Meaning who follow the companions with ihsan. Meaning in an excellent way. They do what the companions did. The same manner. Same kind of actions. And الَّذِينَ اتَّبَعُوهُمْ بِإِحْسَانِ Refers to the people who came after the Sahaba. But not just them. Until the Day of Judgment. All the believers who come after the Sahaba, who follow them with ihsan, who follow the way of the companions, Allah says, Radiallahu anhum. Allah is pleased with them. anhu, And they are pleased with Him. Allah is pleased with them and they are pleased with Him. Why? Because they don't delay. They don't procrastinate. They don't have low standards for themselves. They're the first ones to go out. And they look for opportunities. So they see an opportunity to do good. They don't wait to see, okay, who's going to do it? No, they go for it. They leap forward. They jump forward. They grab that opportunity. Does it ever happen that you are waiting in line for some food and you see, okay, there's only two slices of pizza left. So before somebody else grabs it, how much is it for? You grab it and you say, how much is it for? Because you don't want to lose it. You don't want to miss it, especially if you're really, really hungry. If there's a good sale somewhere, what do people do? Even if it's not the right size and the color they're looking for, you know what, pick it up. You never know. By the time you come back, you might not find it. And they take a whole lot of things with them to the cash register. And as they're standing in line, then they go through everything. Okay, this is not my size. Okay, this is not what I need. Okay, this is what I don't need. But why did they take everything? Because they didn't want to miss out. Just in case I need it. So people who are eager for more, they never miss opportunities. Some people, they're eager for more, dunya. And others, they're eager for more, hasanat. So such people are happy with Allah. Allah is happy with them. وَأَعَدَّ لَهُمْ جَنَّاتِ Allah has prepared for them gardens, tajri tahtaha al-anhar, underneath which rivers flow, خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا abada, Abiding therein eternally. ذَلِكَ الْفَوْزُ الْعَظِيمُ And that is great success. That is real achievement. That is called success. Not having a little bit, doing a little bit here, there. That's not really success. Success is when a person has really achieved something, something substantial, something solid, a solid achievement. And such people will be ahead in the hereafter, on the Day of Judgment also. Those who are ahead in this world, on the Day of Judgment, they will be ahead also. They will be closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, brought near to Allah. Like a person who gives sadaqah so secretly that his left hand doesn't know what his right hand gave, where will he be? 
Where will he be? Under the special shade that Allah will grant him. Right? He doesn't wait for others to give. Because one of the interpretations of this is left hand doesn't know what the right hand gave that a person gave so spontaneously, so quickly. He didn't think and meditate and think about, okay, should I give it, should I not? No. Spontaneously. Opportunity to give in the way of Allah. Okay, here. Took it out and gave it. Sabiqoon, awwaloon. Such people, they're happy with Allah and Allah is happy with them. Now the following ayat describe more about the munafiqeen and also about the people who remain behind. So far, what did we learn about? Which kind of people? Who did not have a valid excuse? They remained behind and when the Prophet ﷺ returned, they made excuses. And we also learned about some of the Bedouin Arabs who we learned earlier about them that they didn't even bother to come and offer an excuse to the Prophet ﷺ. They didn't even bother to take permission to stay behind. And when the Prophet ﷺ returned, lies. Clear lies trying to prove themselves to be innocent. But what do we learn? That even if a person comes up with the best stories to excuse himself, who knows the reality? Who knows the reality? Allah knows. So, we need to become honest with ourselves first in order to become honest with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And even if the whole world is happy with us because of our lies and dishonesty, doesn't matter. That's not success. That's failure. That's absolute failure. Because these lies are going to take a person to the lowest levels of hellfire. They're going to make him regret. And you see, some matters are so private that nobody knows about them except you. And in those matters, we need to become honest with ourselves and with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like for example, that if a person is praying salah and they break their wudu, who knows about it? Your mother who's watching you pray, does she know? No. So one is that a person says, it's okay, it doesn't matter. I can't bother praying my four rakah again. I was in my last rakah in tashahud and I lost my wudu. Come on, I'm going to have to go do wudu again and pray my entire prayer. Too difficult. But if at that time a person remembers that in the grave, in the grave an angel will be appointed to punish a person. And he will strike the person so hard that the person will scream out and he will say, why are you doing this to me? And the angel will say, do you remember that prayer which you performed without wudu? Do you remember that prayer which you performed without wudu? So if a person remembers that time, that in the grave I might be punished because of this, and Allah knows, I can't hide from Allah, then this will help him be honest with himself. So be honest with yourself, be honest with Allah. You know your reality, Allah knows your reality. Recitation of these ayahs. الأعراب أشد كفرا ونفاقا وأجدر أن لا يعلموا حدود ما أنزل الله على رسوله والله عليم حكيم ومن الأعراب من يتخذ ما ينفق مغرما ويتربص بكم الدوائر عليهم دائرة السوء 